Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and live audio streaming at KUCI.org. I'm Lloyd. I'm this show's engineer, and your host is Murray. And uh, I'm Lloyd with a, with a cold problem here, but you can find out more about our uh, great guests and shows at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. So your host is Mari Frank. She's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional, author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She's testified many times in the California legislature and the U.S. Congress and hosted her own 90-minute PBS special called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. She's been featured on 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, The O'Reilly Factor, Montel, Geraldo, and lots of other shows. To learn more about Mari's vast expertise, please visit www.identitytheft.org. So let's get started with a great show tonight. Good evening, and it is going to be a great show. We have, it's so much fun when we get to have somebody who is from our wonderful Orange County, California. And when we get an expert from our own county, it is really much more of a thrill for me to be able to showcase our own homegrown, so to speak. And tonight we are going to be interviewing Mickey Krause. Mickey is a MBA and a CISSP, which we'll talk about, but she's Chief Information Security Officer for the Information Security Program at Pacific Life Insurance Company in Newport Beach. But she's held many positions in information security for over 20 years. And as I said, she is currently the Chief Information Security Officer at Pacific Life. She's accountable for directing the information protection and security program for the whole enterprise. Pacific Life is the 15th largest life insurance company in the nation and provides life, health, insurance products, individual annuities, mutual funds, group employee benefits, and a variety of other investment products and services. Mickey was named one of the 25 most influential women in the field of information security by industry peers and Information Security Magazine as part of their recognition of women of vision in the IT security field. And she was awarded the Harold F. Tipton Award in recognition of sustained career excellence and outstanding contributions in the profession. Mickey's held several leadership industry positions, including the Information Systems Security Association, which is ISSA, and the International Information Systems Security Certification Consortium, and she's a passionate advocate for professional security leadership. She's a published author and co-editor of Information Security Management Handbook Series, and we're so thrilled to have her with us. Thank you for joining us, Mickey. It's a pleasure, Mari. It's really nice to talk to you. And uh, before we get started, I want to give you kudos, especially to you, for the great public service you provide in uh, hosting the privacy and piracy. I think they're two very important issues, and 
and congratulations to you for doing that. Well, thank you. It's you know it's so great because I I don't know of any other show that actually airs live that has privacy and security issues that's solely dedicated to that. So we're thrilled that the university has allowed us to do that and to showcase great people like you. So Mickey, you know I have. I've gone to many security conferences and data protection conferences, and there's rarely very many women who are experts in the field. Why is that? You know, Mari, that's a really good question, and, and I think it's changing. It's changing slowly over time, as we see with other professions. But they think that typically it's because they're, the ranks and file today of, of our security professionals used to come from two big areas, uh, the technology area and law enforcement. And typically, technology and law enforcement were the domains of the male. And so I think that as the information security profession evolved out of those disciplines, we saw a lot of men. And i got to tell you, even today when I go to meetings uh, with my peers, there are definitely more men than women in the ranks. But, but it is changing little by little. Um, there is a... Um, a conference that is solely dedicated to women security professionals, and uh, that happens once a year, and it gets over 100 participants every time, and uh, that's been going on for the last three years. So I think we'll see a change over time. And maybe you'll see 200 and then 300 and right, 400. Right, exactly. I remember even in you know the medical profession and in the legal profession, that that has changed as well. So I think we're, we're seeing that that field is growing. And I think part of it is also, you know, a lot of information security has a lot to do with numbers and math too, doesn't it? Knowing, uh, I know that many of the people that we've interviewed, you, you really have to be pretty techy. And women have not been pushed in the field of mathematics and science and technology. And I think that's changing as well. Isn't it, Mickey? I think you're right. Um, I think there's a realization that, um, you know, technology, science, and mathematics are important disciplines for everyone to learn and understand. And again, I think that um, the profession is one that is, is typically perceived as a bits and bytes kind of a profession. But more and more, what people are realizing is that information security is a multi-pronged discipline that really needs to address the business fundamentals as well as the technology bits and bytes. So again, I think that we'll see a rounding out of the profession. Um, Math science, uh, definitely very important, but also the aspects of business are fundamental to the profession. Well, as a pioneer in the profession, really, for, for women at least, tell us what exactly is information security? Well, in a sentence, information <laughs> security is, uh, is the discipline of putting processes and controls in place, specifically to protect and safeguard information. Okay. Now, that sounds like a really simple sentence, <laughs> but in practice, it's very complex. When we talk about information, we talk about all types of information that a company is a custodian of. If a bank has uh, information, they're the custodian of your name, your address, 
your social security number, your account number, and a myriad of other things. If you're a hospital, if you're a doctor, if you're an insurance company, if you're a retail store, you're a custodian of information that you have an obligation to protect because it's not your information. You're the custodian of someone else's information. And that's really the basics of information security. Now, yeah, I was going to say information security has has that component of the data about your customers, and but it also has sometimes your your inside secrets, right? Your intellectual property. Absolutely. It has there's, there's so a, many. There's an awful lot of what we call sensitive or confidential business information. It could be uh, the pricing tables that you have, the uh, the rating. Um, the patents. It could be patents. <laughs> it could be trade secrets. It, right. it could be information about your future merger and acquisition. Uh, any, any amount of data that you don't want the, the competition or the public to know about is information that needs to be safeguarded. Right, and even employee information. You know, Very important, extremely important to protect that, com- that employee information. Especially That's, if you're a company that has health care, you know, uh, maybe you, you're self, uh, self-directed health care. You might have a lot of information about your employees, so you also have that kind of sensitive information on top of their Social Security number. Absolutely, and it's extremely important to protect that. The, when we talk about information security, we, we typically talk, talk about a three- uh, three-leg stool, and it's easy to remember because it's CIA. The C stands for confidentiality, which is what we're talking about, the protection right. of confidential information, specifically um, keeping secret what no, nobody else needs to know. Right. Integrity is the I in CIA, right. and that's the integrity of the information. You know, sometimes we forget that people can make mistakes even if they use computers. There is a behavioral or psychological uh, concept called the halo effect, which means that if it's on a computer, people think it just has to be right. Yeah, and we know how much that is incorrect, right? Exactly. <laughs> but what we have to realize is that people are the ones that are putting things into the computers. And if the information is incorrect, for example, if you're working on a spreadsheet and you're working up calculations uh, for financials, and if you're not checking your formulas, the calculations are going to be uh, incorrect. And that's what we call integrity. So that's a, a garbage in, garbage out kind of concept. And, you know, we find that, and we've talked about this on the show before, that 70% of credit reports, for example, have errors. Scary, isn't yeah, it? and and actually, thirty percent of those are enough to keep you from even getting a job. And then we've had victims of criminal identity theft that somebody either has input the wrong uh, social security number for a, com- a criminal, and then it turns out that when the background check comes up, it's it's really an innocent person, right? Or or there's other kinds of errors. People are in a hurry; they put in the wrong number. I mean, we've all done it. We've all made mistakes. That's why it's always nice to have checks and balances. But yeah. and it could seriously, seriously yeah. impact. I mean, look at think about a uh, a computer system that runs uh, radiation and and uh, for for cancer, and if the technician incorrectly inputs the dosage, what could happen to the patient? Exactly. I mean, it, it's kind of scary when you think about that. Or even, you know, I remember that there was a woman that um, had contacted us years ago who had, uh, she was a physician, and her, 
some, she went to the doctor, and for some reason they input the wrong code, and it looked like she had AIDS, which uh-huh. she did not, and she couldn't get health insurance or life insurance. So <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that happens all the time. Absolutely. So that's the I in okay. CIA stands for integrity. Right. And then the A is availability, and that means that well-protected computer systems are available when they're needed. So a good security program also keeps all of the bad stuff out of computers so that they don't go down. There's nothing more frustrating to somebody when you call up a company to get information or to buy something or to uh, remediate some incorrect uh, data, and they say, well, I'm sorry, but the computer's down. Oh, yeah. And it can happen once. And it can happen for a short period of time. But you're going to really start thinking about what the heck's going on when a company's computers are down for a long period of time. Right. So does that availability also kind of go to the negative? In other words, uh, not allowing certain availability to people who are not authorized? Is that where that A goes as well? That's part of it. You're keeping out the bad guys. You're keeping out the hackers. You're stopping the company from bringing computer viruses and worms into the computers, which might cause a disruption in service. You're keeping the computers up because basically almost every business runs on a computer now. It's, it's critical. Absolutely. So you were talking about confidentiality. Let's kind of go now and talk about what's the relationship between privacy and security. Well, basically, keeping information private is why we have an information security policy and a program. I mean, you don't do security for security's sake. You don't lock a lock if there's nothing to protect. So privacy is keeping what should be secret, secret. Again, it's only allowing those people with a need to know access to the particular information that you're a custodian of. Right, right. And sometimes people, you, you can have security without privacy, but you really can't have any privacy without security, can you? True. And, you know, um, identity theft, which, which you've done an absolutely wonderful job uh, showcasing on your show, um, it's in everybody's minds. I think everybody knows at least one person who's been the victim of identity theft. And um, just recently, um, I was talking to my sister and brother-in-law. They were on a road trip, and they had an experience, which was kind of a twist on identity theft. Um, Harvey and Stephanie went on a trip, and they stopped to eat lunch. And after they finished their meal, they paid the bill with their Visa card, which they typically do. Right. And uh, after they, it was processed, the waitress handed the card back to them with the receipt. And, of course, Harvey stuck it in his wallet, and they were on, on their merry way. Well, hours later, they stopped again for dinner. And uh, when they got the bill, of course, uh, Harvey took his Visa card out again and handed it to the waitress. Well, there was some time before she came back, and when she did, the police. Oh, no. Uh And they started asking Harvey and Stephanie all kinds of questions. Where have you been? And, you know, what's your name? And show me your ID. And (sighs) we'll come to find out that at the lunch stop, the waitress had switched two credit cards with two customers. Oh, no. So Harvey got the other guy's <laughs> credit card, and the other guy got Harvey's credit card. Well, Harvey didn't notice. He just stuck it in his wallet. Right. The other guy noticed that he had somebody else's, and he reported his credit card stolen. 
Oh, goodness. Well, of course, there was this big hassle. And oh, no. We were de- detained for quite some time until, I mean, the story had a happy ending. Right. It really taught him a lesson, and I think it's something that, you know, once I heard the story, <laughs> I never take a credit card back from um, a merchant unless I look at it to make sure it's my card. Right, and a lot of people have, you know, Citibank or Visa or whatever, they have the same thing and they all look the they same. All I know look we, alike. We've gone to dinner with other couples and we have to say, oh, which card is this? Exactly. <laughs> that's right, So, but but to get stopped by the police and think that it's stolen, oh my goodness, that's, yeah. that is crazy. Well, at least we know the credit card companies are doing a good job. Yeah, right, or somebody, at least uh, somebody's after it. Okay, so let's talk more about um, how do most organizations address information security? Well, um, first of all, how well do they do it? Um, That really depends on how big of a company they are, how regulated they are. Um, Today, since computer security or information security has been around for, let's say, 20 years or so, Uh, Most large organizations, especially financial institutions, do a really good job. Um, Companies that are highly regulated, companies usually have uh, relatively mature uh, disciplines uh, in their IT departments and in their security departments. Especially those that are um, governed by Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, which really deals with the whole financial industry, which includes the insurance people, financial institutions, they, uh, they have more uh, stringent rules than, than some of the other companies. Is that what you mean? Very true. And, and in the health uh, field. Yes, HIPAA. HIPAA. Yeah. And those organizations are audited by multiple audit and regulatory agencies continually on their security practices. So there's more visibility there. Um, the smaller and the mid-market organizations vary in their level of maturity. You know, sometimes because they, they aren't forced to comply with these regulations, sometimes because they just don't realize that they have an obligation to protect the information. In fact, a statistic I just saw said that only 10% of mid-market companies have ever conducted a privacy audit mm. compared with 80% of the larger companies. So I think there's still a lot of room for the smaller and the mid-market organizations to mature their security programs. Right, and I would think that a privacy audit and a security audit are really two separate things, although they they might be managed by the same internal or external auditors, but they they really might be different, right? Because there's different kinds of testing and... and, um, between security and privacy, would you think that is that correct? Yeah, but but again, um, since security supports privacy, right? You're going to look at the privacy practices in a company. You're basically going to look at the general computing controls around how you secure and safeguard information. So really, there's an overlap there. Right. What what often happens, at least in the smaller companies that I've seen, is that they might spend their money on IT because they're so worried about their networks and they're worried about their computer systems, but their offline stuff, 
you know, they, they, they are not as careful with their offline protection of privacy that, as they should be, leaving things around, you know, like you go into these escrow companies and there's all of this stuff laying around on desks that have your social security number, all of your loan applications and everything about you. And they are, that, that's part of the privacy audit that would not be part of the IT security necessarily. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what you're talking about there is the people part, the behavior part, right. which is a component of security. In fact, the way most organizations address information security is, again, this three-pronged approach, what we call people, process, and technology. And we intentionally put people first because people are typically the weakest link. Right. You can implement technology and safeguards, and you can put process in place. But if the people are falling down on the job by, as you say, leaving paper around, I I had an experience just recently where I went to the doctor's office and filled out, again, another ream worth of paper with personal information and and, uh, set it aside, you know, so that the nurse could take it and sat down, and there's a room full of people in the waiting room, and the nurse from behind the, the glass in her reception area yelled out to me and said, is your social security oh. number, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, I can't believe that. <laughs> now, and oh. These people are trained, and yet it's, it's not forefront in their mind. They're trying to do their job, and they really don't think that much about it. But right. uh, but again, the this, there's no privacy consciousness in that in that doctor's office. Yeah, it, yeah. You no, know, it's 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 uh, it's something that you just have to continually remind people because it's not, as I said, you know, the most important thing on their minds. But again, the 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 way organizations address information security with this people process technology, and I'll give you another example of how one uh, one example of how all three play together. There's, um, there was a study done recently by, by a group called the Radicati Group, and they found that, interestingly, the average business user in the United States sends and receives, on average, 171 emails each day. Yeah. Now, that's a staggering number, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. We, we do business on electronic mail. That's just the way we do it. And each email is a potential risk, not, not all of them, but they're potentially risky. So let's say that the employee says something in an email that creates a liability for the company. They say something that they shouldn't have said, or they send uh, an attachment to another company, but it's got a virus in it, or they send confidential information outside the company, which shouldn't have been sent out. Right. That's the people part. Right. Now, then there's the process part of that scenario where in this same study, the study found that a nearly a third of companies don't adequately publish their security policies to their employees or train them right. security policies. So how can you set up a rule and not teach your people how to use the rule? Exactly. And then lastly, so you've got the people, you've got the process, and then lastly, you've got the technology – And, again, in that same study, they found that more than two-thirds of businesses don't filter their outgoing email, or they simply actually don't even know whether they're they're doing the filtering, which means that you can tell your people what to do, 
You can have processes in place, but you can also have that safety net where you implement technology to be able to filter what's sent outside of your company and make sure that the employee is doing the right thing by technically enforcing it. Right. That's what we call the people process and technology. Right. You know, I've been reading uh, recently books by Kevin Mitnick because we're going to be interviewing him in an upcoming show, too. And you know who That's Kevin Mitnick is? Yeah. And I, I just finished uh, two of his books, The Art of Intrusion mm-hmm. and The Art of Deception. The Art of Deception was his first book. And he talks in both books about how you could have the best security and in technology And yet the social engineering, he talked about, he gave many scenarios of how someone outside the company got enough information to sound like that they were a fellow employee, call up and say, hey, you know, we're having some problem with this system. Don't give me your password, but I'm going to give you a temporary password. Please get in, use this temporary password and download this uh, software to make sure that everything is right on your computer. And people do it. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, they opened themselves up. In fact, it was just in in August of 2007, recently, the IRS did a test and found that out of, you know, I think it was like 160 employees, like 68 of them um, succumbed and gave gave out what they needed to give out so that the intruder could get in. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, they, they were really smart in doing this. The IRS is one of those federal agencies that, of course, you know, the, the, the General Accounting Office keeps an eye and a scorecard on federal agencies and, and how they're doing on the security programs. And so it was it was very smart of them to do that because what they did was they – they gave their employees the social engineering test to see where they were falling down. Right. And then they trained everybody to make sure that everybody understood, and then they retested them. And, and they still did poorly. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it's, social engineering is one of those things that, again, it's not in the front of people's minds. Right. And so you so social engineering is one of the uh, the um, the weaknesses that you continually have to train employees on, and that's why security awareness and training is such a, an important fundamental concept of a security program. Right. I think you know the I think the reason people succumb is because people are basically good, and good people are basically good, and they're trusting, mm-hmm. and they want to help their fellow employees, or they want to help a customer. And so out of the goodness of their heart, they'll do things that are not compliant with policy. Exactly. The people are customer service oriented and they do want to help. And so they'll, they'll give out information. And unfortunately, a lot of the times they won't ask who it is or why they want it. There's a, there's a big scam going on in a lot of companies where um, somebody will be called and ask, uh, do me a favor and, and find out what the serial numbers of your printers are because they're trying to get the serial numbers so that they can sell printer cartridges. But, but it's, it's all masquerading in an illegitimate uh, and in hopefully illegal form. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. Another thing that um, social engineers do, either over the telephone or through email messages, is um, to give people something for free. Right. So they pretend that they're going to send uh, a Beyonce video or a, a picture of Anna Kornikova in her tennis outfit or right. something that will appeal to people um, at no charge. 
and they're going to go and they're going to open up that email or they're going to be enticed to look at something, which unfortunately may have some harmful effects. You know, also when you have a, we've seen a lot of the phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G emails that are getting more and more sophisticated. They used to be where there'd be misspellings in it and, you know, some some crazy stuff that you could say, oh, that looks so fake. But now they're starting to look really authentic. And I think what's scary is now I anything that looks like they want me to click on anything, I don't care if it's Starwood, which I belong to, mm-hmm. or if it's my bank, I, I just won't respond. Even even Citibank sent, you know, sent me something today that looks so authentic, and I just didn't have enough time to call. But it really looked authentic, saying we have some new you know, processes to offer you. Please go to this. And I thought, I am not going to do that. No. No, I think, I think they're just getting very, very sophisticated. That they're, people... they're getting sneakier and, and more conniving because there's more awareness out there about phishing. And, and there's a lot of organizations that are doing really good things. And there are a lot of legitimate organizations that are publishing their privacy policies, which is a great thing because your financial institutions, your retailers, are telling the consumer that we're not going to ask for this information. They used to tell everybody that they're not sharing the information with anybody else, but more and more they're publishing their privacy policies to make their consumers aware that it's not legitimate when you see something like that, and yet people keep doing it. Why do they keep doing it? Because there are people that fall for it. In fact, I I just read something about um, several members of a credit union in Tennessee falling prey to a phishing scheme and losing thousands of dollars to thieves. There there are people that are still gullible and still uneducated enough, um, not for any other purpose except that they just don't understand that they shouldn't be divulging this information. The latest statistic I saw, I think, said 66 to 88% of all email traffic on the Internet today is spam or phishing. It's incredible. It really is incredible. And I and, and I think the problem is some people really think that it's true. And, and what's even scarier is when you get something from a friend that they're forwarding to you and they got scammed and then they send you something like, look at this cute attachment. And, and either they didn't send it and somebody has captured their email or they did send it and they don't know any better. And because you trust them, you open it. It's a, it's a real wild west out there. You know, we, we don't know what we can trust, and I think that's it. I mean, it's I think it's unfortunate that we don't know who we can trust at all on the Internet, right? Exactly, <laughs> and that, that's, that's a really good point. You know, you, we all say in the security profession, trust but verify. But, you know, you brought up another good point about not knowing. There's this great cartoon that was in a New Yorker magazine a while back, and it pictured a dog sitting at a computer terminal. And the caption was, on the Internet, no one knows you're a dog. Oh, I know. I love that one. There's a dog standing next to the dog, too, telling him that. It's the cutest. I think it's so great. And it really sends the message home that there is an incredible level of anonymity when you're on the computer and talking on the other end. And you don't know who's lurking out there. And, you know, I know that you have have written books, Mari, on the subject. And I think it's something that we really want to emphasize to our listeners that traffic on the Internet is not always legitimate. 
and the people who are on the, the Internet sometimes are a microcosm of the bad guys out in the world in general. There are people out there lurking who send sexually explicit messages and try to prey on, on the, the uneducated. And unfortunately, a lot of it is our children. Right. And um, I think I read a statistic lately that said one out of five email messages on the Internet is, is some ploy to, uh, to get um, uh, you know, a victim um, for some predator out there. And I, I wanted to mention that um, there's a gentleman that uh, is a very good friend of mine who has just written a bunch of books um, also for uh, what he calls the Internet Survival, Protecting Your, your Family, oh. Stop, Stopping Internet Sex Predators, uh, Stopping Hackers, uh, Stopping Identity Theft, Protecting Your Home Computer, Stopping Cyber Criminals, uh, protecting your financial information. They're really, uh, they're, they're small books. They're easy to read. Um, the concepts are, are very well explained, and, uh, and, and parents can uh, communicate the concepts to their children in a way that, um, that I think that they can understand that. So if there's any interest... Um, sure. Um, what, does he have a website you can give? He does. It's uh, www.sheltonics, that's S-H-E-L, T-O-N-I-X dot com, okay. and uh, you can take a look at the books, uh, see what they're all about, and purchase them through that website. Great. You know, we also have, I don't know if you know, but our Orange County Sheriff um, and the Sheriff Reserve has a program that we do for parents called Internet and, the Chi- and Your Child. Oh, it's fantastic. And it talks about, because most parents often don't even know what their children are doing or don't know really maybe as much as their children know about, you know, the the computers and the Internet because a lot of the parents didn't grow up with it as much as the kids have. So we have, uh, and our Sheriff Reserve puts on this program, Internet and Your Child, and we will be starting this up in the, you know, uh, very soon. Well, it's actually starting for this fall, for the uh, school year, and we're making it known in the community that we will teach this for free to parents uh, at various locations, and it'll be publicized so that parents can learn about what they can do. But it is very important for parents to know and for them to explain to their children, especially when you've got all these social networking sites that also are a place for predators. Absolutely. I'm so happy to hear that you're doing that. There there was such a, a lack of this kind of program, and I know that um, just recently the United States National Cybersecurity Alliance requested that their state leaders, schools, and colleges work together to formulate these kind of educational programs. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to hear that, that you are answering that need. And we're happy that you're listening, you know, here to, or you're having um, some help for our own university students here right at UCI. Let me introduce you again. We're speaking with Mickey Krause, who is the Chief Information Security Officer for Pacific Life right here in Newport Beach, and she is an expert on information security and really helping us to understand 
what you need to know. Now, there there is a um, quite a bit of information security and information uh, IT programs at the University of California, Irvine. In fact, we've gone to uh, interview some of the professors. So there might be a lot of students listening in who are interested in becoming an information security officer. So as, a, as an expert yourself in this field, why don't you tell us some of the skills and competency that organizations will be looking for if, if these students want to get into this field and get hired? Sure. Yeah, and and I I got to tell you that I'm, as you said uh, in my introduction, um, a very passionate advocate of security leadership, and so um, I would be extremely happy to entertain any conversations with anyone who would be interested in having an offline conversation. Okay. Now, can they co- contact you at uh, PacificLife.com or? Uh, yes, you can. Um, uh, you can publish my telephone number on the website. Okay. Well, and that we'll, would be great. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to talk to them. Information security is one of those disciplines that um, is so broad and encompasses, um, as we've been talking about, the people, the processes, and the technology, that more and more companies are looking for individuals who are really well-rounded. Um, and you mentioned CISSP and MBA mm-hmm. in my uh, introduction as well, Mari. And there's a reason for that. The MBA, I think, is, is important because more and more companies are looking for security officers who understand the relationship between the business and risk. Because when you look at risk management, which is what information security is all about, we're managing risk on a daily basis. You need to understand what the business does what the business processes are all about, and then how you interject the appropriate controls given the risk of the environment. So I think business acumen is extremely important. Well, my son is getting an MBA right now at uh, University of Chicago, so that's one good thing. (laughs) Good deal. Now, you've got the CISSP. Now, CISSP stands, it's an, an accreditation. It stands for Certified Information Systems security professional. There are many security certifications. And regardless of the one you get, the idea here is to convey to your employer or your potential employer that you were interested and committed enough to the profession and you understand the fundamental principles around information security. It's it's your underwriter's laboratory stamp of approval, so to speak. But again, the information security profession is so multidisciplined that what I call a well-rounded person who might be a potential security officer really has a combination of sales, marketing, technology, psychology, sociology, you know, a lot of it is people-oriented. You need to sell the company on the aspect of security. You need to sell the people on why it's important. Um, and often, you know, we, I played this game. I'm, I'm a fellow for the Poneman Institute, and they developed a privacy game. And in the privacy game, they had different aspects of the the. Um, of the corporation sitting there trying to ask for money, you know, from from the powers that be. And there was the security officer and the privacy officer and marketing and HR. And, you know, 
guess who got the least amount of money usually? Privacy and then security. He didn't get a lot, you know, because that that isn't looked at necessarily as the most important aspect. Guess who got the most amount of money? Marketing. And so you're right. You have to be a salesperson to the to the rest of the group to to make sure that they give you the resources that you need so you can do all the things that you need to do to protect the company and to do the training. Right, and typically you don't go at it with an aspect that, you know, we call it FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You don't want to scare people to doing the right thing, but you also don't want to talk to them in in bits and bites, techno babble. Right. But that's where the, the business acumen comes in. You really want to talk one on one, face to face, with line managers in the business about how important it is to keep, again, the integrity, availability, and confidentiality of their business processes because ultimately they own those business processes. And if you address it that way and demonstrate to the line manager in the business the benefits of security, I think you're going to have a better way of going than if you try those uh, attempts at scaring somebody or telling them that the sky is falling. Although, you know, it's it's funny because in reality, all they have to do is hear about all these security breaches that have gone up to almost, what, 200 million uh, records that have been compromised, right? Uh, Poneman does a very good job of, of uh, collecting all that data. And, and yes, you, you do want to use those incidents in your risk conversations, right. um, you know, again, risk management, you're looking at just, just the way insurance companies do, you're, you're doing an actuarial analysis, um, you're looking at what could happen and the frequency of it and um, uh, taking all of the factors involved here, which would include all of those, let's say, laptops that were stolen with information that wasn't encrypted. Right. So, you know, and, and consider that part of the equation. You know, it, it's scary now when you think it, when you're talking about these laptops and the USB uh, devices that people can use. They're so tiny now. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you deal with that with all of these different devices, whether it be an uh, an iPhone or an iPod, which could serve as a USB device or these little tiny USB devices? How do you deal with that all? I mean, it seems overwhelming for the IT departments of corporations. Yeah, they're getting smaller. I, I just read a, a recent statistic that indicated 45, this is a scary statistic, um, 45% of workers steal data just before they change their job. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's pretty scary when you think about it. And what happens is when you can put the entire research base of a company on a media that's smaller than a matchbook, Stick it in your pocket and walk out the door. Um, that you're right. It's um, it's it's something that um, we're, we're trying to um, adapt to and trying to do risk assessments on on a continual basis. Um, there there's now what we would call common practice. I mean, companies that aren't encrypting their laptops and their drives are are not doing what I would call common practice. I mean, right. there's, there's too many stories out there about laptops being stolen or lost and uh, personal information being disclosed. You're just not being um, uh, a prudent custodian of information if, you, if you're not doing that. 
and the rest of it, the, the other evolving and emerging technologies, you've got to stay one step ahead and an attempt to uh, to implement the safeguards wherever you can on those devices because they're going to continue to come out. You know, last night I was at my sheriff meeting. I'm on the high tech crime unit, and I am not a techie, but I I'm on with I have the privilege of being on with a lot of techies. So they did this uh, demonstration of all these uh, virtual de- desktops. Mm-hmm. About and talking about the benefits of being able to, you know, be remotely helping somebody else, you know. But you you go in and you have this software that you can uh, look at somebody else's lap, um, whatever it is. There, there. You could be away and then, of course, go back into your corporation. But I kept thinking about all the dangers of that. You know, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you allow the virtual uh, desktop software? I mean, do do companies feel comfortable doing that? Well, there there are instances where I, I believe what you're talking about is like remote control software. Yes, yes, yes. Where yeah. somebody else is actually kind of seeing what's going on on your computer. Right, and they can be looking over your shoulder basically, and you may not even know it if they don't move your mouse. Yeah, well, there are legitimate reasons for doing that internally, sure. there are also, um, you know, risks of having that kind of software out on the Internet because it's just like bomb instructions. You know, there are very, people who are very happy to find weaknesses and vulnerabilities and post them on the Internet for other people to use. Right. There are legitimate reasons, as I said, to have that remote control software internally as long as it's controlled. If you have people in your organization who are technicians who are responsible for the care and feeding and maintenance of your PCs and your servers, it's very legitimate for them to have remote access to your employee's uh, desktop sure. in order to do their job and no more than that. Um, but there are people out there who write malicious code, malicious software, um, called spyware and Trojans and bots that are traversing the Internet as we speak, and um, if you inadvertently download one of those and uh, execute it on your computer, you're allowing the bad guy inside your computer, and that is not a good thing. Right. No, I, I could see the benefits when we were talking about this, and I was thinking, gee, you know, as much as I travel, it would be really nice to just put that on and be able to go to my home computer or my office computer and be able to do this while I'm in a, in a hotel room on the other side of the country you know, and pick up something that I forgot. So, I mean, I could see that just for me as a small business person, and of course, as a larger business, if you have to make some changes, you can make changes. And when even with a a local uh, company that maybe didn't have the same IT people there, that that could help. So there's that, that light side. And of course, there is the dark side of what if somebody who's a bad guy gets a hold of it and makes those changes? Exactly. Yeah. You just you have to make sure that you're addressing from a risk perspective where people are, how they're accessing the systems. Again, there's a legitimate reason why you've got teleworkers. You've got people who are telecomputing. You've got people who are on home computers accessing inside a company's um, computers. You've got people who are traveling on a regular basis carrying laptops, or maybe they, they want to go to a, a public kiosk in an Internet cafe. So you have to consider all of those different scenarios and how you're going to control all of those different paths of entry into your company's computers. As I said, it's, it's an extremely complex situation. 
So, yeah, what what keeps you up at night? And what keeps, what keeps all these security officers up at night? Is it this kind of stuff? What else? It's a lot of stuff. Um, I'll, I'll break it down into three major areas. There are technical uh, weaknesses, technical deficiencies that we need to be concerned about. There are bad guys, bad guys um, outside your company and some bad guys inside your company. And then, as we talked about, there are the 99% of your employees, good guys, who just make bad mistakes. Um, From a technical perspective, people have to remember that um, we run computers, and computers are built by people, and the software that runs computers are written by um, by software developers. And just a normal, regular, personal computer has millions and millions of lines of code, which are computer instructions, that people write. And what happens is even though they test that software and they have diligent practices, there is always the potential for somebody to make a mistake where that mistake allows for that vulnerability to be exploited. And somebody can come in from the outside or inside and exploit that weakness to do something bad. Now, we have, um, from a technical perspective, and most companies do have what we call vulnerability management, which means that when uh, a vendor, such as Microsoft, lets their customers know that there are these weaknesses or vulnerabilities found in their code, we have a process where we patch or we fix that weakness so that it can't be exploited. But I got to tell you that uh, every week and every month, every vendor that we do business with um, will send us uh, an advisory. And uh, Microsoft uh, does it on a very uh, frequent basis, and they're, right. they're good about it. But uh, Cisco has it. Uh, anybody who has computer software and hardware will send their customers these uh, vulnerabilities or weaknesses and deficiencies that they've identified when they find a fix for it, when they've developed a, a patch. And then the companies have to go in and fix all of their software occurrences so that those technical deficiencies can't be exploited. So that's one thing we worry about. <laughs> now, that's we also worry thing. about bad yeah. guys. And the yeah. bad guys come in two flavors, right? There's the outside bad guy. Usually we call them a hacker, and you see them in the headlines. And the hacker is the person that has time on their hands, uh, curious about you know, computer programs, learned something and wants to try it out. but uh, They might even be competitors, right? It uh, could be, could be. And what they're doing is they're breaking into other companies' computers. Now, right. sometimes they're just curious. Sometimes they just want to poke around. Sometimes their philosophy is that, you know, every computer system and information is free and that they have a right to be there, although they don't. Right. And sometimes in very small instances, companies will have the bad apple, you know, the disgruntled employee or the, the person who is unhappy with the last raise they got, and, uh, and they've got access to the computer in an authorized and legitimate fashion, and they do something bad. So we worry about that. And, um, you know, hacking uh, is something that is increasing. In fact, um, I just read an article about hacking attacks against banks and credit unions up by 81%. Huge. And why is that? Yeah. Because 
that's where the money is. Right, right. There are more and more stories about how um, hackers are coming from uh, China, Eastern Europe. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these people are educated with a lot of energy and uh, not a lot of stuff to do, and um, that's that's what they do. Right, those and, are, and those we don't are the always. Guys. And we don't always have the law enforcement, especially like in Eastern Europe, we don't always have the the coordination with law enforcement to help us even go after these people. It's uh, it's happening more and more, uh, but you've got to have some really good proof. And uh, it's, it's difficult from the outside, the bad guys from the outside, who are who are savvy enough to be able to hop from computer to computer and go through uh, systems called anonymizers, um, which virtually, you know, it, they're almost impossible to trace. Although the Secret Service, uh, you mentioned HTCIA, the, the Sheriff's Departments, the Secret Service, FBI, are becoming quite proficient at, uh, at being able to trace some of these bad guys. But then you've got, you know, the, that, that bad guy on the inside, and every once in a while you hear a story about, um, you know, about somebody who's really taken the company for a lot of money. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the times they're caught. Um, there was just a, a recent case about uh, a scientist from DuPont who uh, stole trade secret information from, the em from his employer valued at approximately $400 million. Yes, um, and we had here in Orange County uh, a guy who's uh, indicted for, for st when he left Broadcom. He stole a lot of things from Broadcom. Absolutely, and the, yeah. and the good news is that more and more of these people really are being caught. Yes. There are laws on the books. The guy from DuPont, I believe, was sentenced to 10 years in prison with... Um, uh, you know, a fine in the in the thousands of dollars. So those are those um, people are getting caught little by little. And then the last thing that we worry about, of course, are the um, you know the good employees, the majority of the people who just as we talked about, um, don't think about it as much as they should, and uh, and they make mistakes or they choose um, uh, let's say a, a weak password, which which is um, pretty typical in a, in a company. It's it's difficult because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've got passwords for, you know, my systems and right. my bank and my credit union and, and um, uh, every place I buy online. And how the heck are you supposed to right. remember all these things? It's very right. difficult. And, you know, you tell people not to write them down, but how, how are you expecting people to remember all these passwords. If you write them down, then you have to lock them up. Exactly. So no one has access to that because I've, I've heard of people who've had a lot of passwords and had a little notebook, and then, of course, somebody gets a hold of the notebook. Right, right. Yeah. Or you take the password and you put it on a little yellow sticky and you right. put it underneath the, the keyboard of your right. laptop, and then right. you lose the laptop, and there's the password along with it. Exactly. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a people issue, um, weak passwords. Uh, I know there are a lot of studies about companies that... Um, you know, they, they see what, what people are choosing for passwords. And, of course, guess what the number one choice for your password is? What, password? And the, <laughs> the, yes, the, the, the word password. Oh, no. Yes, absolutely. Second, <laughs> second highest are the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Oh, no. Third highest, the, uh, the, letter, the letters on the keyboard, Q-W-E-R-T-Y. Oh, no. So, you know, it's... it's you know, we were talking last no. night about how a lot of times the default password will will be the word, the one that that people use. They just don't bother to change the password. Exactly. That that's um, 
again, it's common practice when you get that vendor software. Uh, right now, most companies that have really good security policies will tell their system administrators and their IT people that they do need to change those. But in a home system, how many people really acknowledge and understand and are cognizant of the challenges with those types of things. They're, they're, they're not educated to those things, so they're not going to do it. I know a lot of people who buy home computers with personal firewalls in the computer but not set up correctly, yeah. and just as they plug it in, within the, the next 30 seconds, there are 10 people trying to hack into their home computer. Yeah, see, that's how I think. I think that these companies should actually set it up for you because most people aren't as savvy as you are, really. And so they should they should have these things uh, set up and direct you right from the beginning. You know, you need to have a special password. You need to have maybe 12 letters and numbers mixed up and don't use the default password. And you need to set up certain things. And, and, and the software itself should should help you so that you don't open up yourself immediately to, to be vulnerable. Exactly. There's just so many things to remember about doing work on a, on a, on a computer at home, which companies typically take care of for you. Right. I know, you know, several instances. Um, uh, in fact, I was at my dentist's office and I was talking to him about what I did and I mentioned backups of computers. And the next time I saw him, he said, my God, I'm so glad you told me about <laughs> backups because in all of the time they had been in practice, they had never backed up their computer. Oh, no. And so, well, remember... Remember on Sex in the City, it was so funny, there was, a, there was an episode where Carrie's sitting at her Macintosh and she's writing her column and she runs into some kind of an issue and she's trying to figure it out and her boyfriend comes behind her and does a Control-Alt-Delete and oh, the computer no. crashes. Oh, yeah, I think and I do it's remember. It's so funny. She wraps up the computer in this pashmina, right? And they rush down to the, uh, the local technical store and the first thing the guy says is, do you have a backup? Right. And right. she says, back up? Yeah. I'm supposed to back up? Yeah. Now, <laughs> she has I, never done it. And, and the, you know, the storyline is that, that she loses all of her columns. Right, right. And, and, you know, now they have these backups that not only the backup that you have in your own place, but your off-site backup, which is what we do to make sure, God, what if there was a fire or what if there was an earthquake or something, yeah. just to be careful. Lloyd is telling me we only have two minutes. Now, do you believe that, how fast that we're going? So I'd like to just ask you, all right. So, <laughs> what, what? Let's let's just end with you know what should happen to deal with all these dangers in, of technology. What do you think should happen? What should happen? Um, any company that has a custodian of other people's information has to have, have an obligation to have a, a good security program. Um, and um, I think there's there's a lot that's written out there on how to deploy a good security program. I don't think there's any excuse for a company not to have one. Um, and what should happen to the bad guys? I think that there are sufficient laws on the books that tell you, um, you know, what the criminal penalties are for doing illegal acts. And really what we need to do is just be more diligent about catching the bad guys and enforcing our regulations. That's right. We need to enforce it, and that's good. I know recently they, they caught the Iceman who had stolen, you know, so many identities, and, and he's probably going to go to jail for a long time. So 
starting to enforce is like really what needs to be done. Well, thank you so much, Mickey, for all of your help. And we will make sure that we uh, keep in touch and have you on again because we surely didn't get through everything we wanted to. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Maureen. Thank you. You've been listening to Mickey Krause the Chief Information Security Officer of Pacific Life. She is not only a security expert and technology expert, but she knows business as well. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I am your host, Mari, for Privacy Piracy and our engineer, Lloyd. Thank you so much. Join us next week at 5 to 6 p.m. Wednesday right here on KUCI. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.